coming. Um, tonight's class was dedicated by um, Rabbi David Hoch and his family. And this is in honor of the upcoming special day this Shabbos, this week. Uh, Shabbos Parshas Korach comes out on Gimel Tamaz, uh, the Hilula of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. May um, this be a very big bracha to you, David, and your family to bring you blessings, begashmias, beruchnias, and may the light of the super tzaddik illuminate your life in everything with much, much, much bracha, both in the material and in the spiritual. The CD this week was sponsored by uh, Dr. Chaim Kohn and his family, and this is entire, this is also in honor of the great day of Gimel Tamas de Shabbos, and may the light of this very, very holy day and the power of this very great tzaddik uh, bring boundless blessings to you and your family uh, with much, 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 much uh, nachas from the children and good health, parnasa barchava, and shidduchim uh, for those who need shidduchim, and only, only good. Thank you for those uh, who sponsored. Uh, this Shabbos at Mayon, uh, due to the special um, day, uh, we're going to have a very uh, we're going to have a nice uh, Shabbos uh, luncheon, Suda Shabbos in Shul. Uh, we have it every week, but uh, this week, uh, on a bigger scale, uh, we're going to have a very, very, very meaningful program of many, many people that will share inspirational ideas ideas about the Lubavitcher Rebbe and his teachings. Um, it's going to be really, really special. We will be sending out an email tomorrow with the details. So look out of it. You, um, Whoever will come, I think, will enjoy it immensely and leave very inspired. That's the Shabbos. Um, Gimel Tamas. Davening over here is at 9.30. We have a class before that at 8.30. And then Davening is 9.30. And the Kiddush lunch, this is for men and women, generally starts at about, probably be about 12 o'clock. Uh, quarter to 12. Thank you. Um, this week is Parshas Korach. And um, the, what we, you know, the Parsha is about 
a rebellion that was staged against Moshe Rabbeinu, against the leadership of the Jewish people. Um, Korach, who was a Levite from the very, very prominent family of the Levim, and he was the first cousin of Moshe Rabbeinu. He was a great scholar and a very wealthy man, and um, that, I guess, gave him some a little bit of arrogance and the chutzpah to stage a rebellion against uh, Moshe, and um, he complained against the kahuna. Uh, Moshe had appointed by the word of God his brother Aaron to be the high priest, and Korach didn't like that, and he felt that maybe it should have, it should have rather gone to him, um, and that Moshe is taking too much power for himself and his family. Uh, he managed to get and to incite many Jews to join him in this protest. And the Parsha goes along to tell us of the terrible uh, consequences and the great punishment that happened to Korach and his, uh, and his group. Uh, they, they perished in a very horrible way. And then um, once the Torah relates to us how this um, rebellion was completely snuffed out, uh, the Torah goes on to tell us that, um, I mean, it continues with a couple of different events that happened as a consequence of it, uh, the blossoming of the staff of Aaron, and then the Torah continues by narrating and giving us the mitzvahs pertaining to the priestly gifts. These are gifts that people are obligated to give from their produce, from their livestock, from various different elements in one's possessions, we have to give to the Kohen. Um, like the, the, the Teruma, the first of the fruits, Reishis Ageis, the first of the shearing of the wool, uh, certain parts of meat from every animal that is slaughtered, not only in the Beis Amigdash, and then there are certain gifts. There are altogether 24 gifts. Um, I'm not sure that all of them are mentioned in this week's parasha, but definitely most of them are. Rashi explains why these gifts are mentioned in this parsha, and Rashi says the reason is the connection. Obviously, simple, but Rashi gives insight, and he says when a person's ownership of something is contested, is challenged, so um, then and they're taken to court, and the case is heard, and they came out vindicated. They come out um, innocent, or they come out with the upper hand that the challenge wasn't based in reality, then they are given a special document by the courts, stamped by the courts, a legal document which they can pull out just in case anybody else will seek to challenge them on their possession of their property, their field, their home, and they can say it has been established by the court that I am the owner. So the same is in regards to to the kuhuna, since there was a challenge if this belongs to Aaron and his descendants, and then it was proven by God that it did belong and that these charges were false. Once it was established, so it was validated, endorsed, and stamped by God by giving the 24 gifts of, by stating in the Torah about the 24 gifts that we have to give to the Kohen, and that is fermenting and strengthening, so to speak, the, the, the Kohuna by the Kohanim so that it cannot be it cannot be challenged ever again. That is um, what Rashi says. The question over here is as follows. 
we know that a parsha, a sedra in the Torah, has a theme. And each sedra has its theme. And the theme carries through in all the psukim and all the verses, all the stories that are related in that Torah portion. This one theme is a thread that runs through runs through the entire Torah portion. Um, and now it's not always visible, obviously, to someone who is looking and just superficially on the parsha. Many times we don't really figure, it's hard to understand why these parshios, why these subjects are all piled, compiled together in one sedra. But when one learns a little deeper uh, and probes, you can see that there is a theme in one parsha. And that theme is expressed in the name of the parsha. And that um, oneness and that one idea of the various different elements that are stated in one sedra is even more than the connection that there is between the beginning of one parsha and the end of another parsha. We find that Rashi, for instance, gives us many times a reason and um, a connection between what was stated in the end of the previous parsha to the beginning of this parsha and says there is a connection between the For instance, in Parsha's Bahalos and last week's parsha, Parsha's Shalach, which is the parsha of the spies, uh, that story comes right after Parsha's Baalos, where it's discussing the um, the story of Miriam when she when she was inflicted with saras uh, with a with a, uh, a skin ailment because she spoke against her brother M- Moshe. She gossiped. So Rashi explains what's the connection to the story of the spies that the spies saw this happening to Miriam that she was punished because she spoke. Lashon Hara, and they did not take heed, they did not learn a lesson. So that's why the Parsha Shalach states right after the story of Miriam to emphasize how different they are from Miriam and they're not, they did not learn or they should have learned a lesson, they had a chance to learn, they didn't learn. The same is also stated in this week's Parsha, even though Rashi doesn't state it openly that that's the connection, but it's, it's um, very noticeable from what Rashi says, is that when Korach staged his rebellion against Moshe, uh, what's the connection of the beginning of the Korach to last week's Parsha? The last thing discussed in Parsha Shalach is the mitzvah of tzitzis, the mitzvah of um, wearing fringes, strings at the, on a four-corner garment that all Jewish males wear, or the talus. And the, the uh, Korach, Rashi says, used the argument of the tzitzis to poke fun of Moshe by saying that this is a ridiculous mitzvah, it doesn't make any sense. And therefore, God couldn't have commanded it. That means, Moshe, you make up things on your own. And the same, you also, you made up this idea that your brother has to be the high priest. And as Rashi states. So you see, again, there is a connection between last week's parsha and this week's parsha. But the connection between the parshios that there are the various different paragraphs or verses that there are in one parsha is even stronger and deeper than the connection between one parsha and the next parsha, the end of one and, and the end of the other, which makes perfect sense because this is all part of one sedra. That's two sedras. Like, for instance, the relationship that we have between one parsha and the next parsha, like in, in, in when we said about the Korach and Tzitzis, or the Meraglim, the spies, and um, and Miriam, over there it can be a negative relationship, meaning the, they contradict each other, but they're related because they contradict. For instance, they should have learned from Miriam, but they didn't learn from Miriam. 
Or in this week's parsha, Korach challenged the mitzvah of tzitzis. So he's going against it. So even though the two are close to each other, which show that there is a connection, but it's a opposing, it's a bond from opposites. As opposed to when you have various different mitzvahs or stories or subjects discussed in one sedra, then their relationship is not in a contradictory manner, but their relationship has to be that they both, that all these ideas have an underlying current of the exact same theme. If that is the case, then we need to understand this week's parsha, which seems that the second half of the parsha is diametrically opposed to the first half of the parsha. Because the second half of the parsha discusses God strengthening the kahuna. As we said earlier from Rashi, Hashem is fortifying the kohanim, um, stabilizing them and telling them that you are meant to be the special family amongst the Jewish people. Korach uh, fights the kahuna. His, well, his identity, his, how he's remembered in all, for all of Jewish history as the man who opposed the kahuna, who staged a rebellion against kahuna. So if Korach, his essence, his identity is to fight kahuna, to fight the kohanim, the family of the kohanim, how is it that the second half of the Torah portion of Parshas Korach, which deals about strengthening the kahuna, is under the same flag and under the same banner of Korach? That doesn't make any sense. It should be in another parsha, maybe the next parsha, but not in the same parsha. It doesn't fit. It's not the. It doesn't follow with the theme of parshas Korach. To make matters worse, um, we know the Gemara tells us in Mesechtes Yuma on the pasuk, the verse that says "V'shem Rishayim Yirkov," the name of the wicked should rot. So the Gemara tells us. That that means the that we do not name people or objects or entities in their in their name. When you name your children, you should name your child after a righteous individual, and not God forbid after a wicked person. Besides, for the influence that it has on the person that bears that name, if because the energy of that individual that you're naming your child after carries over into this individual into your the child that you're naming, and besides for that. Um, it goes against what the Torah says, that we have to cause an eradication. The Gemara says, what does it mean, Yerkov? The Gemara says that we have to cause the name Rakruvu, I don't have the Gemara in front of me, Rakruvu, something like that, Yala Bishmehoin, a, a, um, a uh, rusty, they're rusty or mold, their names should become moldy, rotten, and rusty, because no one uses their name. So when something lays and it's unused, it gets rusty and moldy. So this is what should happen to the name of the wicked. It should not be used because something that is anti-God in the world, we want it to rot and to be eliminated. So here comes the question, how can we name Parsha's Korach? Why did we name the Parsha after such a wicked person, which is Korach? Which is, by doing that, we're giving him a lasting memory uh, for all eternity. It's even more than, or worse than naming a person. Because you name a person in terms of this idea that you're giving a permanence to the name, the person physically, at least in this world, is only alive for whatever, until Mashiach comes, we live only to a certain amount of time. And then, you know, 120 is already a long life, a very long life. Um, and that's it. But when you're naming a, a parsha in the Torah, the Torah is eternal. So you're 
you're naming, you're giving eternity to the now. By the way, we did we did discuss this in a parsha class a few years ago. Those who are listening to the class and have listened to earlier shiurim might remember this, but we had given them a different answer. So the question over here is, how can we name Parshas Korach after Korach? Even more, that is true about any wicked person. Even someone whose name is not implying wickedness. It's just that they happen to have, they happen to have been a wicked person. But in the story of Korach, it's even worse. His name, Korach, is expressive and indicative of his of his wickedness. Korach means a gash. Lo karcha, the, the Pasuk says, do not make a gash in your body. And the, and the sages say that Korach is a gash because he created a gash amongst the Jewish people. He was a divisive being, full of strife, full of hatred, full of machlokas. He's a bal machlokas, the quintessential bal machlokas, a man who was seeking to divide. Um, and that's what Korach means. It means to create separation, uh, to divide. So how can you name a Parsha in the Torah after, with a name of divisiveness, after a wicked person whose name implies divisiveness, especially when it comes to Torah with a very, very purpose and the very essence of Torah uh, is in Torah's application to this world, the Torah been given down here into this world, is to set the world straight by bringing peace to the world, by harmonizing all the, fra- all the factions and all the, all the whatever is uh, opposing each other, the Torah is supposed to come and make harmony. As Rambam says, the Torah is not coming, to make peace in the world. So if Torah is all about peace, how can a portion of the Torah be named Korach? And it didn't have to be named that way. It could have been named Vayikach. No? That would have distinguished this parsha from all the other parshas. Vayikach, and he took. We don't have any other parsha called Vayikach. Call this parsha Vayikach, and we're perfect. Another thing that uh, we can um, take note of, which is interesting, is that the Medrash tells us that there were involved in this machlokas, in this, in this rebellion, were two women that were involved in the story of Korach. One woman saved her husband from being destroyed. And on that woman it says, Chachmas Nashim Bansa Besa, the wisdom of, of a woman builds her home because she saved and she protected her husband. And another woman was the one who actually delivered her husband into hell. And that was Korach's wife. Korach's wife caused him, she was the instigator behind the whole rebellion. So, and the, relate, the, the story the, Med, the Medrash tells us is as follows. One of the people mentioned in the rebellion that Korach initially got to join him in his confrontation against Moshe. His name was On Ben Peles from Shevet Ruvain. And he was a, uh, a, a judge of Ruvain. He was a very important, prominent, uh, important person. Um, Later, when it says how all the people were killed, they died, they were swallowed up in the ground, his name is not to be found. doesn't list him amongst Dasan and Avira unlisted, but he's not listed. And the question over here is, why is Owen Ben Pelos, what happened to him? Where has he gone? So the Gemara says that his wife shielded him. 
His wife said to him, I don't understand why you're getting involved in this fight. <coughs> Either case, uh, you're not going to be the Kohen. Who is going to be the Kohen? Um, either Aaron is the Kohen, and you're going to be a student, or Korach will be the Kohen. So what's the point of picking a fight when you're not going to gain anything? You're anyway just going to be a, second, uh, a second-hand citizen. You're not going to be the, the leader. Yeah, I understand if this would be about you, but about someone else, what do you care if Korach is the leader or Aaron is the leader? What difference does it make to you? And why are you putting yourself into such a dangerous, uh, dangerous situation? Um, and Ombin Peles said to his wife, oh, but, but you know what, I've already signed up and they weren't gonna, they, they're going to come for me. So his wife said, let me take care of it. She gave him to drink wine and he fell asleep. She went outside in front of her house and she, re- and she let down her hair, I guess she removed her head covering and let her hair down. So she was sitting in an immodest way. And when the people, the, the, the rabble came to get him to join, when they took one look at this woman, who looked uh, so immodest sitting in front of the house, they all ran away. And actually, the government the says that she said she knows that these people are God-fearing people, and they're not going to want to be in the vicinity of a, of a woman that looks like that. So they went running. So that's how she protected, and, 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 and that's how she watched over him until the, the uh, aftermath, until the, the, the ground opened up and, and Korach was swallowed. On the other hand, the Medrash tells us that Korach's wife, she was the one who was really driving his, 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 him into the ground by, by fueling the flames of the fire. It says that initially what got Korach upset and angry against, against Moshe was the haircut that he got. What happened was when God chose the, the Levium, which happened just earlier at this point, um, the, the, you know, the, when, uh, during the time when the Jews were in the desert, in the first year they were in the desert, or in the second year rather, when um, from when they went out of Egypt, is when the Mishkan was built, and then God had chosen the Kohanim and the Levim. So when Hashem chose the Levim, Hashem instructed Moshe to have the Levim shave all their body hair, everything, their heads, their their beards, even their side locks, their 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 uh, their payas, all their body hair had to be shaven clean. It wasn't that they remained in the shaven state, in the shaved state, but initially they had to remove all hair from their bodies, the Levium. Um, so Korach, after his shave, went out and people looked at him and he looked kind of funny. And they said, what happened to you? And Korach said, well, Moshe did this to me. And, he, and then he went on to say, not only did he do this to me, but he actually had me be brought in front of his brother Aaron and Aaron uh, was to wave me. Every levy had to be waved by Aaron. Picked up in the ear and waved in to all directions. So Korach said, that's like poking fun at me. And his wife heard about it. And then she said, yeah, he, to his brother Aaron, the Kohanim were not shaved. The Kohanim were allowed to keep their hair and their beard. And as we're going to see soon, quite on the contrary, the beard of the Kohen is a very, very integral part of his kahuna. So, um, the, the, so she said, take a look. His brother Aaron... He dressed him up like a bride. He beautified him. He adorned him with all kinds of ornaments. He dresses him up like a king or like a bride, the Medr says, on her wedding. And you, he makes a, mocky, a mockery out of you. Uh, by doing that, she, she, that's what got, caused this rebellion against, against Moshe. So they, they were jealous of Aaron's beard, of Aaron's hair, which they had to remove. So we need to understand this idea. And like, if they're really bothered about 
the shaving of the hair, then why don't they say that? They should have said, how can you make up such a silly, if you, this is a mitzvah, your mate, God couldn't have commanded it to shave our hair. Why did you tell us to turn us, why did you make me bald? By the way, korach actually means bald. A kereach, a, a bald person is called a, is called a kereach. So why have you turned me into a, a bald, a, 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 why did you make me bald? He should have contested that mitzvah. He doesn't contest the mitzvah, he contests the kuhuna. So obviously it's a nice story that the Medrash says and it sounds very cute and pretty pretty funny. The question, however, over here is, um, is there a deeper connection? Of Is it only about looks or is there a connection in which the beard of the Kohen is bothering Korach? He doesn't have a beard, they do have a beard. Uh, that's a tr- and if that is the case, so why didn't he contest it directly? Um, now, in regards to Korach himself and his and his complaints that he complains to Moshe, it says that what they ganged up against Moshe to Moshe, they said as follows: They said, "Kula kola eda kulam kedoshim." All the assembly are all holy. Ubetocham Hashem and God is amongst them. Umadua tesnasu al kal Hashem. Why are you elevating yourself, you, your family? Why are you elevating yourself over the congregation of God? So they are complaining on Moshe Rabbeinu's, um, on them, um, seemingly what they're bothered with is that there is this hierarchy amongst the Jewish people. They are the, the greater people, and then there are the more important people, and the regular folk, people. And that's what bothered them. He, was, he believed that Korach seemed to believe in equality, where he wanted everybody to be equal. But if that's the case, we don't understand, because Moshe says to Korach and to his into his group, he says to them, is it not enough what God has given you already that he appointed you as the Levites? You also want kuhuna. You see from here that what they were demanding was that they should be made kohanim. So if they are demanding that they should be made kohanim, which means that they want to keep a, an elite group amongst the Jewish people, it's just that they wanted to be appointed to that position. If that is the case, what is it that they're saying? Why are you elevating yourself? What's the difference? Who is being elevated? Someone is going to be higher than the, than the rest of the people. So if you just don't like the fact that Moshe said that he showed favoritism to his brother Aaron and he didn't really pick fairly, maybe there's a better candidate, then why are they saying, why are you elevating yourself? Then they should just say, um, find the right person. This that they are comm- demanding, why are you, everybody is holy, and why do you make yourself holier than everybody else, more special than everybody else, then, then that's what they should say. Let's obliterate the entire um, position of kahuna. But here there seems to be a contradiction. What exactly does Korach want? So um, now in regards to the assembly of Korach, the people who joined him in this fight, you can argue and you can say that what they, it's not that they were bothered that there should be any elevated group amongst the Jewish people. What bothered them is that Moshe was, Aaron was the only one. There was only one high priest. They said, listen, it should be shared with, with other people. Like, why can't there be many? Um, it was like when they appointed judges, they appointed many appointees. So they understood that there are simpler people and there are more qualified people, but people that are qualified, maybe they're scholars, maybe they're saintly people, they can all be high priests. So what they, what they were complaining, Madua Tesnasu, why do you elevate yourself, is why, why the exclusiveness, the exclusivity of Kahuna that it's only one. That can be argued in regards to the 
people who joined Korach in the rebellion because they wanted, as Moshe even says to them, you want 250 people, you want to be Kohanim Gadol, and we only have one, and in Judaism, we only have one Kohen Gadol, one Beis Amidash, one Kohen Gadol. Okay, so that we can understand that it's not a contradiction. They don't mind that there is an elite group, they just want it to be many. However, in regards to Korach, Rashi says clearly that he knew he was a pikeach, he was a wise person, and he knew and even foresaw with Ruach HaKodesh with a holy vision, because Korach was not just a regular guy, he was a great man. He, he saw that they're all going to die, and one, one of them is going to escape, and he thought he would be the one that would escape, which means he believed that he was the really supposed to be the Kohen Gadol. He's going to be the high priest. If that's the case, if he needs to be the high priest, that means that he still wants that there should be only one leader. So then why is he saying, how does it make sense that he's saying to them, why are you elevating yourself above the Jewish people? So to answer all the above questions, um, there is a teaching from the Noam Elimelech, which again, I did mention the same teaching a couple of years ago in another class. Um, but again, we're taking it in a different direction. The Noam Elimelech, or the Melech of Lizensk, um, says that the when it says in the Torah of Ayikach Korach Korach Tug, he did what did he take? So Rashi says, and it's from the tar, and he brings from the Targum, the Ispalig. I don't know if Rashi brings it, but the Targum says the Ispalig Korach. The Korach broke away. That <coughs> the idea of Ayikach Korach means he created a a breakaway, a div- a division. So his main element of Korach was that he created a a a a machitza, a barrier, a separation between the Jewish people. Created two groups. Um, so the the Melach says that that breakaway and that division is rooted and connected to the first time there is a division that was made in creation. And that is when God created the world so on the second day of creation, Hashem made the firmament. He made the rokiah. And when Hashem made the rokiah, He had made Yehi rokiah b'toichamayim. Hashem made a firmament in the midst of the water. He split the water. He put the sky, and the sky separated between the, the waters. And then there was, the, there was what we know from that day on, there is mayim alyonim, there is water above. And then there is mayim tachtonim, there is water below. The lower waters and the higher waters. So the Novel Melech says that um, the root and that Korach's rebellion and his division that he created in the Jewish people is similar to that divide that God created when he separated between the upper waters and the lower waters. Now, the, the Novel Melech has his, his explanation of this idea, uh, which we're not going to be speaking about tonight, um, the Tzamach Tzedek, brings down this normally Melech and exp- explains this normally Melech and him and the, uh, the Chabad Rabbeim, they explain this theme derived from the normally Melech in their own way, with their own explanation of what is the connection between the second day of creation, this, this division that God created when, he created when he separated between the waters, how does this connect to... Um, how does this relate to um, Korach's di- uh, division? What's the relationship? And the explanation is as follows. That Korach noticed, as soon as like, the Jewish nation was taking form, 
that the Jewish people were going to be divided into two groups. There are the clergymen and there is the layman. Uh, the clergymen, in this case, would be the family of the Kohanim, whose lives are dedicated and devoted to um, the temple service. They are living every day for the service of God. They work in the temple. They, 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 uh, they think about the Beis HaMikdash all the time. Their responsibility is the temple. Um, and a Kohen, even though he didn't technically work in the Beis HaMikdash all the time, but that was his occupation. That was his job. Uh, he only worked in the Beis HaMikdash two weeks a year. What was he doing the rest of the time? The rest of the time he was preparing for his work in going to the Beis HaMikdash. Kohanim did not really live much of an earthy life. Their life was all about heaven. Life was about spiritual matters. Um, the Kohen Gadol especially is completely a heavenly human being. The Pasuk says about the Kohen Gadol, lo he's not going to even go out of the temple, doesn't mean technically he can't leave, but generally he lives in the Beis HaMikdosh or in the vicinity of the Beis HaMikdosh and all of his thoughts and aspirations and everything he does and all of his business is related to directly to divine worship. So that's the family of the Kohanim. And then there is another, the rest of the Jewish people. The rest of the Jewish people are people that live on earth and are occupied with earth. There are farmers, they are uh, entrepreneurs, they're merchants, they are doctors, they are lawyers, they are um, everything else that people do um, in their worldly occupation. And that's now, um, of course, all Jews are obligated to mitzvahs. So as they're doing what they're doing, they also do mitzvahs. But that's not their occupation. Their occupation is the, the world. Now, um, Korach was a wise man. And he understood that all the Jewish people were at Sinai. And all the Jewish people were selected by God to be a nation serving him. God says to the Jewish people, Avodahim, you are my servants. You're not like the rest of the world. You're all my servants. Korach understood that the people that are the laymen, they're not clergymen, they're not dedicated all day towards heavenly matters, spiritual things, but they too are serving God. Because one's involvement with the material, physical world, that too is a service of God. Not only that, that is the primary service of Hashem. What is the service of God relating to the physical, material world? First of all, it's making the world, improving it, and making the world a livable place. The Pasuk says, God does not want a jungle, God wants this world to be civilized. So building roads, and building shopping centers, and creating innovative machinery, or whatever it is that makes life easier, and more livable, and more productive for human beings, that is a tikkun olam, that's a tikkun in the world, and that's what God wants. That's the most basic, basic level. And that's a service of Hashem. But that non-Jew does, any civilized non-Jew does that, and the same like the Jewish people do that. Um, in addition to that, it's a Jew who's living with an awareness of God, and when he makes a living, his, he makes a living and he has in mind that he's going to give tzedakah, and he's going to support Torah, and he's going to support the, uh, give, and he's going to um, uh, you know, de- dedicate himself to fulfilling God's will in the world. 
So that's a purification because he's bringing within the physical world, he's making the physical world into a vessel, into a container, which one day God will fill this physical world with his light after Mashiach comes. So thousands of years, as we discussed in so many classes, thousands of years of work of toil in which we prepare physicality for the service of Hashem. That is the greatest service. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not another service. Kohanim have a different kind of a service. Their service involves meditation. Their service involves deep prayer. Their service involves a lot of Torah learning. And their service involves sacrifices, which means connections to heaven. That's what the Kohen is all about. But Korach understood that these are two legitimate ways of serving God, in which one, uh, each one has its value, and each one has its importance. What Korach did not agree with was one, one, more, one more very important idea, that these two um, groups have to create a bridge that will bridge them together, that, that connects them. There needs to be a channel of communication between these two groups. Kohanim, in addition to them being these spiritual beings, also have to be the mentors and the educators and the inspirers or inspiration of the people. Um, that has to do with um, the Kohanim, in addition to the time that Kohanim, as we said earlier, were preparing to go to the temple, to the Beis HaMikdash for the service, they also spent time when they went back to their cities to be the spiritual um, the, the spiritual inspiration to educate, to teach Torah, to um, bring spirituality to the masses. By, by learning with people, by teaching people, by educating people. Um, like we have today is a beautiful system that uh, has been instituted amongst people that are devoted their lives to studying Torah, people that learn in Kolel. So there are so many communities that have, especially these out-of-town communities, where people have brought down a group of people who study Torah all day, and instead of just minding their own business and staying in the shul, and having the the community support them, which is very good for them because they have an opportunity to be supported and so they can study the Torah um, and not have any 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 uh, monetary worries. But there is another system that, that has been um, uh, instituted, and that's the way it's essentially, that's the Jewish way, is that these people that study all day Torah should take a chunk of their day in which, let's say in the evenings, in which the people that work all day can come to the base Madrash and they can have a Chavrusa and they can study and attend the Shir. So they occupy and they teach the layman and the layman support them and they help the layman learn and they bring a, a spiritual, a higherness. They bring a sense of... Uh, elevation to a community. When a, when a place gets a group of people like that in a community, it elevates the face of the entire community. So they're pulling the people up. That's the idea. And that's a relationship, a, a, a connection. Now, spiritually, that was related to, you saw that, and who was involved in that, the Kohanim, and even the high priest. We know that one of the main mitzvahs that the Ebershter gives to Hashem gives to Aaron is the mitzvah of Bahalosha Esaneros, when you will light the lamps. What is the meaning of lighting the lamps that he lit the menorah? In addition to the physical candelabra that was lit, neros means neshamis. And the idea of Aaron lighting the flames means that he's igniting the soul. That Aaron is spiritually, in addition to, the, as we said before, the physical communication, there is a spiritual impact that the Kohen Gadol needs to channel. He has powerful, the Kohen Gadol is a burning fire of love to God. 
And that's what he does all day. His mind is is floating and soaring in the spiritual world and his understanding and his appreciation of God is immense and his love for God is a burning fire. But he needs to share his fire with the people by pulling the people in that they too should have moments of transcendence. They too should forget, stop their work, to come to shul, to sing, to, to, to learn, to daven, to have, a, as we say, a Shabbos. Shabbos, you close your shops. You're not involved in the material world. You have a transcendent time. So Aaron, spiritually, every day, took of his time to channel his light down to the people. In other words, he's descending to them and he's bringing them up. That element was, question. that's what Korach felt was wrong. He felt that makes it sound like you're better than the masses and you want uh, the masses to emulate you and to try to be like you, even though they can't be like you, by copying you at least for portions of the day. Um, that they felt, uh, that Korah felt is wrong, because that seems to imply that serving God in the spiritual is better than serving God in the physical. Where in truth, and Korah, both of them are equally important. We do need people that are conscious of God all the time through their connection to heaven. But we also need people that are involved with the material world. And each one has its function and each one has its purpose. And one should not be confused with, uh, with the other. And one isn't better than the other. They're different, but not better. And by the, by the clergymen being appointed as teachers and instructors, it creates two classes and it creates a sense that the ordinary people are not as great as the rabbis and these more spiritual people. That was Korach's complaint. And therefore, we going back to the question that we said, uh, when Korach said, Madua tisnasu, why are you elevating yourself? Uh, uh, and when he wanted to be a Kohen, he wanted to be a Kohen, but his comp- it's not that he didn't believe that there should be two groups, one group occupied with heaven and one more physical, earthy group. He was okay with that. And you see, he wanted to be a Kohen as well. But what he didn't like was the setup of Madua Tisnasu al Amashem Tisnasu means why are you elevating yourself? The deeper meaning, why are you channeling of your elevate of your elevatedness into the people? Why are you making the ordinary people feel that they need to stop being ordinary from time to time and to involve themselves in things that are higher and things that are godlier? Why 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 do that? Why? Why not appreciate everybody for what they do and let everybody do what they do best and don't mix the two things together? Why are you putting your hisnasus? You're an elevated human being because that's your job. Their job is to be not elevated. Their job is to be um, imminent within the world, not transcendent, not transcendent above the world. That was Korach's complaint. And now we'll also understand why he challenged Aaron's beard, why the beard was bothering him. You see, um, one of the things when the, when, the, when the Pasuk, I mentioned earlier that the beard is a very fo- important part to the Kohen, we see it in, 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 in Tehillim. When the Pasuk speaks about the Kohen, the Pasuk says, Keshemen atov ala rosh, yored ala zakan, zakan aharon, aharon she yored al like the good oil on the head, that descends on the beard, the beard of Aaron that goes down on his on his heart, on his where his middles are. 
So there's a pasuk, and it, 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 it says that when it was, it was referring to the time when Moshe anointed Aaron as a kohen, he poured a little oil on his head, on his forehead, between his eyes, and then the, the oil dripped and it went into Aaron's beard. But why is it so important that it went into Aaron's beard? And the pasuk speaks about the zakana Haron. In Zohar, there is a lot of discussion about the beard of the kohen, the yukna the kahana rabba, the beard of the kohen. Why is the beard so important? See, we've discussed in earlier classes that the idea of hair, that hair has spiritual significance, not just physical. Everything in the physical has a meaning. So the, 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 the significance of hair is that hair represents a very narrow channel in where energy, it's a conductor of energy, but an energy is, is, is diluted to the most minute, minute um, state possible to become minimized, minimized, till it can't be any less than that. And that is the idea of, of hair. Because there is life in your hair. Your hair grows, and it says it has actually energy from the brain, but it is so diluted that it doesn't hurt when you cut the hair. It's so small. So it says that there are certain levels of, of energy where the energy is so potent, so powerful, so intense, that the only way that anything can be drawn from such a high, powerful place is only through this very, very narrow channel of hair. If it would come through any other way, a more open, wider channel, it would completely destroy the recipient. It would electrocute. So it has to come through some a, a very, very minute channel. And then we spoke about that idea of God's beard. I'm not going to get into it right now. The reason why the Kohen Gadol, and Aaron especially, Kohanim in general, but the Kohen Gadol has such emphasis on his beard, is precisely because of that bridge that we spoke about before. Aaron's love to God, Aaron's spirituality, Aaron's level of neshama was plugged in being that he's the priest. He's connected to such high levels of spiritual light. His appreciation, his love, his intensity of his, of his fire, of his soul, of his experiencing, he experiences the Ein Sof and his soul melts into God's light all the time. Now he needs to channel such spiritual feelings to the rest of the Jewish people. And he couldn't deliver it any other way but through his beard. So the beard serves as these narrow channels through which Aaron can can communicate to the people. For himself, he wouldn't need the beard. But for the people, to communicate to them, to light the menorah, keshem anatov, the oil that is going to be lighting the menorah, has to go through the beard. doesn't mean that every time he poured the oil in the menorah, it went on his beard. But in concept, the diyukna of Aaron, the beard, of, is very important. Korach, who was a baldy, he challenged the beard of Aaron, and his name represents bald, his idea was that the letter be a Kohen, live and let live. You live in your world, and the people, ordinary people, will live in their world. He wanted to, he wanted to be Kohen Gadol, but he wanted to be Kohen as a baldy. He said, "If I'm going to be in heaven, I'm going to stay in heaven. I'm not going to meddle with the feel, with the with the with the." With life on earth, let the people that are on earth do their earthy thing. Let the people in heaven do their heavenly thing. Why do we need a beard? Why do we need a communication? That's why also, as we mentioned earlier, Cohen didn't, Korach didn't say, I want to, this is silly that I removed the beard. He was upset that there is a bearded Kohen. That bothered him. He felt it's not necessary to have a Kohen with hair. A bold Kohen would actually do the job in a better way. What was the mistake that Korach made? What was wrong? Seems like, well, God did the same thing. Oh, now by the way, this is what the, the idea, again, going back to what the Noman Lamelech says, that Korach is rooted in the firmament that was created between the waters, in the deeper meaning of God putting a, a firmament in the heaven to separate between the waters above and the waters below 
is to separate between these two domains in the world. There is the world of the spiritual, there is the heavenly, that's the water. The waters above means that they became spiritual waters. Uh, the waters below are the physical waters. Meaning the physical waters are physical. That's why he says they cry, they want to be in front of the king because they feel that they're distant, but they're physical. And then there is the waters above, they're spiritual. So when God made the second day, God created a split between these two realms, these two domains. There is a heavenly domain which are full of angels that sing to God all day long and their minds are completely connected to the transcendent. And then there are people that are in the here and in the now, in the everyday existence of the physical world. That's the lower waters. And these two are separate. And so therefore Korach, who wants to continue this separation and this boundary, is rooted, as the Noam Melech says, in that partition. So what's his mistake? If God also created a barrier between heaven and earth. And the answer is that when God created the barrier between heaven and earth, and he created this firmament, um, that it's, the intention was not that it should remain separated. The purpose of that separation was actually that the we that this barrier should be should be uh, purified, and that there should be a a communication and a bridging, which we will break through this barrier. This was a barrier that was created so that we can then rejoin the, the two the two those that are on the two sides of this partition and bring them together again. And when they come together again, they're they're going to appreciate each other and the unity that is going to be created is what's beautiful in God's eyes. So God did not create a partition because he wanted a partition. He wanted unity and he wanted a harmony. But the harmony can only come when there are two opposites and then they come together again. So how do you see that? Because in every other day of creation, it says that God looked at his creation and he said, wow, it's wonderful. I did, it's beautiful. Kitov, it is good. The only day that it doesn't say Kitov is on Monday. And the Gemara says, the, the Medrash says, or the Gemara, that the reason it doesn't say Kitov on the second day is because that was the day that Machlokas was created. Machlokas means division. Which means that when you say that something is good means it is good now. It is good as it is. It has fulfilled its purpose. It is now in a state that is desirable. The reason God did not say good on the second day, because on the second day it was not desirable, even though he created it, because it did not yet, it wasn't completed. It When is the work but? It, it's not like God never said it's good about Monday, because if it wouldn't be good, he wouldn't have created it. He made it, but it wasn't yet finished on Monday. When was it completed? It was completed on Tuesday. On Tuesday, it says, God says two times, Kitov, and one time was for the work of Monday that he completed on Tuesday. What did God do on Tuesday? Tuesday, God separate created dry land he moved the waters to one place and he created dry land and that was considered the completion of the water but and now we can say kitov about monday but hold it if the reason he didn't say kitov on monday was because he made division and separation between the upper and the lower so why does it help now if he's gathering the water to one place in the cat in a sense he's creating even more division dry land and water but the answer is that this was a tikkun for machlokas because the idea that God created on the, on the third day was by make, creating dry land, he created the possibility for a human being to exist. And what is the human being? The human being is going to be the one who is going to connect the spiritual realms with the physical realms. He's going to bring heaven and earth together. A human being is the one who, on the one hand, lives on a physical body and is occupied with earning a living and has to hunt for his, for his livelihood 
and involve so much of his resources in physical material pursuits, but at the same time, within a human being, there is this nagging, powerful, sometimes nagging, but a deep quest and yearning to transcend his very own earthiness and physicality and material life to experience what is beyond and what is higher and what is in heaven, to communicate with God. And especially this has reached its zenith by the creation of the Jewish people, who are a people who are very much physical, yet we are all the time completely spiritual. The fusion of spirituality and physical comes together in the Jewish people, and that happens on in the world history. It happened on Tuesday, which, as we said earlier, Tuesday is a tikkun for Monday, because on the Tuesday of creation, meaning it happened during the third millennium. During the second millennium, there was a great divide in the world between the spiritual and the physical, meaning people on earth didn't, didn't have anything spiritual, any connection to God. Came the third millennium, and Avram Avinu comes on the world, and he starts teaching people on earth about God that's in heaven. And finally, once the Torah is given, we reach that harmony. Which means that the reason why there was a split in the first place is that we can get together again. When Hashem made machlokas between the upper and the lower, it wasn't that there should be two teams, each one on their own. It was that they should find a way to communicate and become one again. It's like when you have a fight, the intention of the fight is not the fight, the int- you, you can leave it by a fight. Sometimes the purpose of a fight is that um, that later you come to an appreciation and a love and a, and a connection to each other once you make peace, and it's so much greater than it was before the fight has ever been. Uh, every good marriage needs a fight once in a while because then the, 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 the connection only grows and it gets deeper. God split the lower from the higher because he wants the two to come together in a manner of shalom, in a manner of peace. Torah is called shalom to make peace in the world. And that was Korach's mistake. The Gemara says Korach wanted to believe that the split was meant to remain a split and the two don't have to come together again. They can remain separate. That a businessman never has to go to shul to study, to learn, to daven, to, to, to take off from the time that he's learning to be a heavenly person, if he is only doing what he needs to do as doing business honestly and and in an ethical, moral way, he can be happy the way he is, even though his life is very much about the material. That's a mistake because the physical needs to bridge and needs, I'm sorry, needs to unify with the spiritual and that's the purpose of creation. And you can't leave these two separate and and distinct. That's why it says, there's nothing wrong with machlokas on its own. It's called hamachzik. Arguments are full of, the Talmud is full of arguments. Whenever, you can't open a page in the Talmud and not find two people fighting. And they're really going at each other. But in the end, they make peace. The sages say, if you're trying to hold on, you keep the machlokas. You don't let it resolve in a, in a peaceful way to come to a level of peace and an understanding in which you can embrace both of your opinions and bring it together to come to a uh, to a compromise or to a or to a third uh, uh, way which could take into consideration the interests of both together and of both parties or both entities and find that 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 unifier that's that's beneath them both that's the purpose and that's what it's all about and Korach didn't see that now comes so that's the idea of why um, of, of, of the connection of Korach to this divide. But now we'll take it just one step deeper. And the Lubavitcher Rebbe says something really, really awesome. Unbelievable. He says, just like Korach's revolt against 
um, sorry, just like when God made the heaven, he split the upper and the lower with the intention for the two to come together again. In other words, the very divide is meant for, for a deeper closeness, not, for a, not to keep them apart. So from God's perspective, or from a higher perspective, that's the reason why Korach had his rebellion. In other words, Korach, notwithstanding the fact that Korach himself was interested in a fight, and he wanted the split between the higher and the lower, that was his intention. But the question is, why did God allow this to happen? Why did Hashem create a firmament which eventually will lead to a man called Korach? Because we said before, one leads up to the other. Why? Because even when we make foolish choices, there is a deeper reason and a higher force that is guiding humanity and guiding the world. So there is a higher intention to Korach's rebellion. Why did Korach, why did God allow Korach's rebellion to take place or to some way orchestrate it from a very, very high place that's not affecting Bechir Chafsh's free choice, which is a subject onto, his, onto its own, how that can be. But why did that happen? And the answer is that too is for the sake of a deeper connection between the higher and the lower amongst the Jewish people. In other words, in order to intensify the bond between the clergymen, the Kohanim, and the laymen, the ordinary people, in order to intensify their bond and their cross-communication between each other, God brought Korach, who tried to split them and separate a nation that is essentially one, two elements, two sides of one people, and to try to create a rift and a break between these two. What did that do? That created a greater tension and a greater yearning for bonding. So what came as a consequence of Korach's fight? As a consequence of Korach's fight came a deeper bond between an ordinary Jew and a Kohen. In what? That he has 24 gifts that he has to give to the Kohen. That means in every area of his mundane life, where the Jew is living a mundane life, he's, whether he's a farmer and he has his crop and he's ready to reap the benefits of his crop, what does he have to do? He has to take his crop and go visit the Kohen, give him his portions. Uh, when he's got sharing his wool, what does he do? Takes the wool, gives it to the Kohen. When he's making his 4th of July barbecue and he's ready to roast and he's with his family and he's getting be involved in a very, very material, physical experience, he has to stop and take certain gifts to the Kohen, the cheek, the tongue, uh, the, the forearm, part of the uh, stomach. He has to go to the Kohen. He has to stop his barbecue, go around the corner, knock at the Kohen's door. And what happens when he comes to the Kohen? The Kohen says, here, you came. The Kohen says, thank you, come inside. Let me offer you a tea. He has to be polite. He comes inside. The Kohen tells him about an idea on the Parsha, a thought. There is a connection happening between the two. Who brought about that this should happen? It was all Korach. So he's very, very split and is very, um, his work and his um, campaign to break and separate the two segments led, just like the creation of the Rakia led to a deeper union between the two, that is the, that's really what Korach accomplished. So there is really two Korachs. There is Korach as Korach is a human being in this world, not such a good guy, and a wicked person. And in that perhaps we would say the name of the wicked should be blotted out. But there is another Korach. There is God's Korach. There is Korach as Korach is part of a massive divine plan, which is here to create a tension and a rift and a, and a break, so to speak, a crack in the Jewish people so that we can meld it, mend it 
and wheel and weld it together and bring us together in a deeper with a deeper unity. So then that Korach is not a bad Korach. That Korach is not about divisiveness. That Korach is about intensifying the unity between heaven and earth, between the heaven amongst the Jewish people and the earth amongst the Jewish people and bringing them together again. And that's why the the real identity of Korach is bringing the Matnos Kehina, strengthening Kahuna, not breaking Kahuna. And not just strengthening Kahuna, but strengthening Matnos Kahuna, the relationship between the Kohen and the everyday Jew. Um, and that's why this is the name of Parshas, of, of the Parsha. May we merit to see the great harmony and the great union of heaven and earth um, very, very soon, not even very soon, right now.